This is Stephen Adams. And this is Kevin Dr- oh, sorry. <laughs> Kevin Durant. <laughs> You're Kevin Durant, mate. <laughs> good to see you, mate. Different complexion. Okay, let's go <laughs> So, this is Stephen Adams. And this is Anna's Cantor. You're listening to the Down to Earth. Down to Dunk podcast. What? Down to, down to Dunk. Down to Dunk. I'll down say that. Dunk. Introduce yourself, mate. Here's Stephen Adams, and I'm Anna's Cantor. And you're listening to Down to Dunk podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Down to Dunk podcast. This is your host, Andrew Schlecht. And with me today, Fred Katz from the Norman Transcript. Fred, how's it going? It's great. What's going on? I'm uh, I'm happy to return the favor of you coming on my podcast like 400 times. That's right. <laughs> I'm so glad you could come on. Uh, so I wanted to play a game with you tonight. It's called Bayless or Low. So you have to tell me if the statement, if my statements are more or closer to a Zach Lowe statement or a Skip Bayless statement. The first one, Russ is holding his teammates back with his usage rate. Oh, that's Bayless. Total Bayless. Well, with his with uh, it's a, with his usage rate or with the amount of shots that he's taking? Because mm-hmm. if it's with the amount of shots that he's taking, it's 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 a hundred percent Bayless. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Bayless would ever use usage rate. <laughs> That's true. Zach <laughs> Lowe would use usage rate. There's so the caveat. <laughs> but I'm still I, I I'm chalking it up to Bayless. I'm chalking it up to Bayless still because the 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 overall the overall sentiment of the statement is far more Bayless than it is Lowe. Yes. I wonder sometimes, like you have your end of the game sequence. Billy goes ahead and he brings in a Brinus and he brings a McDermott, obviously for spacing. But you know that they're never going to get the ball, right? I mean, never, ever are they going to be the ones taking the shot. I mean, in San, against San Antonio on Friday night, he brought them in. And I'm not sure Russ even looked at them. I'm not even sure Russ knew that they were on the court with him. Do you think that that's a problem, like the predictability at the end of games? Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be a problem in the postseason, too. Uh, and not not just necessarily, I mean, the end of games, it does become more predictable. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think there are ways that we can have more nuanced conversations about Russell Westbrook's usage than, like, he's either holding every single teammate back yeah. Or he's making – people People always ask it is, do you think Russell Westbrook makes his teammates better? And the answer is, well, it depends on which teammate. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like, you, it's not like a guy makes every single teammate better or makes every single teammate worse. Like I know we've discussed Victor Oladipo's role and, and him basically becoming a spot-up guy, but I think he's made Victor Oladipo better. Yep. I mean, he's having, he's having the most efficient season of his career, even though his free throws have fallen off a cliff, which is in part because he's not handling the ball – as much at all with Russell Westbrook on the floor. But that being said, he could still, as you've said many times, he could still be doing it in bench units and that kind of stuff. Like Ennis Canner is, is probably doing about as well as he's going to be doing offensively. I really can't imagine a dude getting that much better offensively than, than Ennis Canner is. Uh, but like, I don't think he makes Steven Adams any better. Like Steven Adams could have the ball a lot more. Uh, and and he could be getting the ball more in these these pick and roll situations, and and Russ doesn't necessarily give them up, and he could be getting more touches, and and he doesn't necessarily get them, and I, I think it it doesn't necessarily make a guy like Stephen Adams better. So it really all depends on on the player you're talking about, the situation, the scheme, all that stuff that that you're talking about. I think you just transitioned us into our second statement. Is this Bayless or Zach Lowe? Stephen Adams is proving right now that the Thunder are about to waste one hundred million dollars. This game is so easy. I don't. I don't. I feel like you have a trick up your sleeve. That's 
I do. I, I, I told you that this is, I did this for one segment. Yeah. And I you have like, said it yet. You have like the most, yeah, no, I know, but it's just, it's the most irrational thinker in the media versus like the most rational, intelligent guy that has our jobs. I also want, uh, I also want to be able to, cause these are, these are not just statements that I made up. These are statements that are floating around right now. On yeah, the, no, on I got you. I got you. Um, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's Bayless. And, uh, because it's Bayless, you can guess my, uh, my feelings on that statement. <laughs> Uh, uh, Stephen Adams is 23 years old. I think that's a fact that people need to maybe just repeat in their heads a lot of times because these guys that get on these their rookie extensions or the extension after their rookie contract, like that, they tend to be very good deals. And I don't think that Stephen Adams is going to be any different. I think that he is going to develop. He's in like kind of a rough patch right now. Like he doesn't look great defensively. His hands haven't haven't been that great lately either. Uh, he's not really that involved in the offense. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, he hasn't looked great lately, but to say that the contract is a mistake is taking a step way, way too far. Something that's not a hot take is that Chicken Express is delicious. Right now, their April special is you get a free gallon of sweet tea with a family meal purchase. You can get an eight-piece mixed chicken. You can get a 20 Express Chicken Tenders. You can get 25 Express Tenders. Um, those come with a family side and biscuits or rolls. It's a great, great value. Go check out Chicken Express today. Also, now at all locations, you can get smoothies and cookies. They're delicious. Go check them out today. Chicken Express, they're all over Oklahoma, Texas, and the surrounding states. There's a location near you. I can almost promise you, go check out Chicken Express today. Yeah, I mean, here's the problem with um, irrationally evaluating contracts. You're either going to over, for the most part, Unless you just get a guy on like an Isaiah Thomas or a Jay Crowder deal or something like that. For the most part, when you have a guy who's a really good player, you're either going to overpay on the front end or you're going to overpay on the back end. Mm-hmm. It's always better to overpay on the front end than it is to overpay on the back end because at least you've got a ceiling and you've got room for improvement. Like fans, fans, and there are a lot of casual fans. Not every fan, I'm not throwing fan, fans in general under the bus, but there are a lot of casual fans out there who look at it and say, what has Steven Adams done to deserve that money? But that's anticipatory money. That's the fact that he's 23 years old. It's the fact that he's already proven he can anchor a really solid defense. Uh, a lot of what he does doesn't go into, you know, 11 points and eight boards or whatever it is that he's averaging by, you know, kind of antiquated measurements. Like what he does is he's still one of the best pick and roll defenders in the NBA and he's a pretty good rim protector. And if he got more offensive opportunities, like if you were averaging 15 and seven and a half and doing everything else, exactly the same three and a half more points a game, nobody would be saying anything. Cause he'd be a 15 point scorer. So I, I, I think you have to realize that this is one of those contracts where it's, it's, it's anticipated money that's going to him as opposed to the other type of contract that fans complain about, which is when you give the four-year deal to the 29 or 30-year-old, and then it comes to year three or four of the deal, and he's not as good. And they're like, well, why are they paying him all this money when he's not that good? So so they're, they're, fans are going to complain about any kind of deal for the most part, unless it's just an absolute super-duper start. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. And I just wonder... I think when are they going to start involving Adams more in the offense? When is he going to start setting more screens? Because I we've talked about this a lot throughout the whole season. Like he should be setting a lot more screens than he is. He should be a lot more involved. 
Uh, I wonder if it has to do with the amount of shooting that's on the floor, that the space that they're going to get from that screen is not going to be all that productive. I don't know. What, what do you think? I think it's something that's, it's hard to implement. Like you can set them a little bit more and that kind of stuff, but it's, it's hard to change like a, a whole offensive philosophy in the middle of a season. I, I I'm trying to think of, well, I guess Miami kind of did that last year. Uh, but Eric Spolstra is also, like, in my estimation, one of the three best coaches in the NBA. And he's been so, doing it for a while. And he's been doing it for a while. And he had a team that was far more amenable to be doing, to do that. You know, the Thunder are in a position where, like, look, there is a reason. There is a reason that for the last eight years, the common criticism on the Thunder has been, well, they don't really set enough screens and they don't really move off the ball enough. Like it's, it's, that's been the same thing for eight years Mm -hmm. and it's, there have been different coaches and there have been different personnel surrounding the stars. And there's a reason it's because it's hard to play that style with Russell Westbrook. And that's fine. He's, he's an amazing, amazing, amazing player. It's not even a criticism as much as it is just something that's stylistic. And yeah, he could be, he could be opening Oladipo off some more curls and they could certainly be running more pick and roll. Cause when you look at the synergy numbers, Russell Westbrook is like one of the best pick and roll point guards in the league. When they run pick and roll, their offense is like really good. It's actually an above average half court offense when they run pick and roll. They just don't do it that much because there's a lot of other less efficient sets that they're running within their offense. So I, uh, I think it's something they probably add more of next year. It's something they, they try to make more of an effort to get into next year. I don't know if we're going to see that much more of it this year, but I do think it's something that they need to adjust moving forward into, you know, 2017, 18, 19, that stuff. Yeah. I, yesterday I saw Russ at an off-ball screen, and I just about fainted because he sets, like, <laughs> very few off-ball screens. I was very surprised. I, I thought he was making a mistake in, in the set, but he, he hey, said an, yeah, set an off-ball screen. He and Robertson ran two 3-1 pick-and-rolls yesterday with Robertson as the ball handler. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, what do you <laughs> – what do you, what did you think when you saw that? Cause I think, I mean, Robertson's really not that bad um, of a ball handler, uh, but he's just not a threat is, is the biggest problem. But what, what do you think about it? He's fine. He's serviceable. Like it's, it's a fine thing. I mean, you know, you've, they've probably run that twice this season now after running it twice yesterday. So <laughs> like, I, I mean, it's fine. I, I I'm not necessarily for, uh, I think sometimes we overanalyze on like possession to possession. And, uh, like, as, like, people who are, like, really intense studies, you know, students of the game, I think we sometimes overanalyze possession of possession and don't necessarily take into account that, like, most of the time it's just, like, these guys are really good at basketball. Mm-hmm. And, and they just kind of did that. It's not like Billy Donovan called from the bench and was like, all right, the Robertson-Westbrook pick and roll, let's do it. <laughs> You know, like if he did, if Billy was like, run the Robertson Westbrook pick and roll, then I'd be like, okay, we can have a conversation about it. But like, I think they're just, they're, they're really, really, NBA players are really good at basketball. And I think sometimes people don't realize how good they are at basketball and they can pretty much do everything on the court. It just depends on like to what degree and what competency, but it's, uh, they can, they can pretty much do it all. So like the just them randomly running a pick and roll is more just like, oh, wow, that's fun, as opposed to just like that has any sort of meaning moving forward. Right. This is, they're not going to use this in the playoffs. This is not, this is not a new tactic, I don't think. Um, next, next statement, OKC should be tanking for the seventh seed so they can play San Antonio instead of Houston. Oh, I have to pick Bayless or Lowe? Bayless or Lowe. 
Who's more uh, likely uh, to say that? Oh, that's 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 a little tougher, actually. Yeah. Uh, is this your is this your big your big one? It's not. You're gonna know exactly what it is whenever I give okay. it to you. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna say. I mean, I'm gonna say it's. I'm still gonna say it's Bayless, because uh, I don't. I like. I actually agree with the statement that. Well, I don't think Bayless would know that San Antonio or Houston would be a better matchup. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this, this takes more thought. Yeah, it's six, you know, maybe I'll say Zach Lowe, even though I don't put on Zach Lowe that like a, he would argue that a team should tank for a lower seed. I don't think Zach would say that, but I just have such little confidence that Bayless would have an opinion I like on whether Houston or San Antonio is a better matchup. And Bayless would probably think that San Antonio was the much worse matchup for the Thunder because like they're the Spurs and he would just put weight on that. Uh and at least Zach, I think, would have an intelligent reasoning as to why, like, the Thunder are more athletic than the Spurs, and they could take advantage of of Gasol and uh, of Gasol and and David Lee in the pick and roll, and uh, you know you can you can put Russ you know Russ on Danny Green and still have a depot on on Parker and Robertson on Kawhi would work. Uh, so so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that Zach would say it, but I don't think he would write it. I think it's just like a thing that he would float when he's like guesting on Bill Simmons's podcast. Yes, this is a podcast statement for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like a thing that he would say like you know seventy percent serious, and he would, but he wouldn't say it to like having like Windhorst or Arnovitz on his. Yeah. He would say it when he's like with Simmons and they're like throwing around you know Simmons theories and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, we have a question that kind of links to this from Michael C. Gilliam on Twitter. He asks, with Sam Decker breaking his hand last night, do you think OKC's chances of slipping past Houston in the first round series increases? Uh, increases, yeah. I mean, Decker is a good rotation player for them. He he's been a little inconsistent this year, but he's he's pretty good. He's a great athlete. Uh, increases, yeah. Uh, would I pick the would it swing the series? I don't I don't think so. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Harden's status is going to be. Like, is he going to be completely healthy for the first round? I mean, if Harden is still struggling with injuries, and you don't have Sam Decker because they really they have Ariza, and then who? What other wing do they have? Uh, that has size. I don't. I don't know if there's anybody left on their roster that can be like their backup three. Um, yeah, I mean they they they'll play. They'll be happy to play Gordon Gordon Small. Sure. And Patrick Beverly can guard like bigger guys. Yes. And also, like, what wings are there to guard on the Thunder? Where you're like, oh no, Patrick Beverly can't guard them. Uh, there's none. Or even Eric Gordon. <laughs> or even Eric Gordon. Like, there's not. <laughs> there's true. not a guy like who. You're, you're, what you're doing with the Thunderwings is you're actually hiding your worst defender on them. Yeah. And Sam Decker, I mean, he may be squeezed out of the rotation even a little bit in the playoffs because they're going to want to play with Lou Williams more because they can play Lou Williams a lot against the Thunder. They can play Eric Gordon a lot against the Thunder, Patrick Beverly a lot. Um, so he might have been squeezed anyways. So Yeah, that's true. Uh, Houston, I mean, Houston is a team's really good. They're good, and the Thunder can't can't play their bigs the amount of minutes that they probably want to against them. There, there are there are people on the Thunder, like there are there are and actually not just people on the Thunder because I, I I don't want to make it seem like it's like a petty thing. Just like from talking to NBA players around the league, uh, I've like kind of just like been privately asking them 
um, not just Thunder guys, but a, a bunch of other players, just kind of privately asking because I'm really curious to know players' perspectives on this. Mm-hmm. Who's the better offense, Houston and Golden State? It's like, I mean, statistically, they're pretty darn even too. Yeah. But I, I figure that Golden State would get way more just because they have like the names and the firepower. But but it's ton of people say Houston like immediately. Huh. A That's ton of people are like Houston because they say Golden State has the firepower, but Houston schematically is just so difficult to guard. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the answer that I get. Not not that Golden State is easy, <laughs> do, uh, but these think, are like. Do you think some of that's like a like a personal like hatred for Golden State and like what they're doing? Well, no, because that that's why I clarified that's not just Thunder players. Okay, okay. Because uh, it's it, I I don't get that impression from random person on X team that I asked that to mm-hmm. like. I don't. I don't think people really care about Golden State in that way outside of Oklahoma City. So, so I uh, and maybe the Clippers too, I guess. But I, uh, yeah, no, I get that impression. And like, it's it's never. I've never gotten an answer of like, it's Houston, and it's because Golden State isn't quite good at blah blah blah. Like, it's always it's Houston. And then they say something overtly positive about Houston. You know, so it's not like a situation where they they look like they're going out of their way to disparage the Warriors or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Houston, I mean, they're so difficult to guard whenever they're whenever they're going like they were against the Thunder a week ago. I mean, they they're unstoppable. Did you look at their shot chart from that game? I don't know that I did. I think it might have been oh, too sad too. <laughs> it, it is. It was the. Gr- it, I'm not exaggerating. I think it's the greatest shot chart I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> they shot ridiculous percentages. I mean, everything went in. Lou Williams. Was no, seen. it's not. It's not just. The, I mean, the percentages were insane. But it's not. J- they shot 67 percent from the field, 64 percent, 63 percent. Yeah. And and over 50 from three. But it's not just the percentages. Look at where they. I'm not exaggerating. Through three and a half quarters. They attempted one mid-range shot. Yeah, it was that, it uh, was, the Nene shot or something. Yes, desperation. Yes, yeah. It was. It was. It was 0.6 seconds left on the shot clock, and they had to take the ball out, and they just threw it into Nene, who had to like chuck up, just like chuck up a shot from you know 18 feet or whatever, a fadeaway contested shot, and it didn't go in. And through three and a half quarters, that was the only mid-range shot they took. Every other shot they took was at the rim or from three. It's amazing. And, and then and then I was so disappointed that at the end of the game, all I'm all I'm rooting for is like, oh, my God, are they going to take one mid range shot? And it was a point six seconds left on the shot clock buzzer beater because this is unbelievable. And and then Lou Williams ruined it all with like a little floater with four minutes left in the game from like 12 feet. And I was so pissed. I've never met Lou Williams in my life. And I was so pissed at him. He's a new guy. He's, he's, he's still he's still trying to conform to the system. Yeah, it's true. He's been good for them. He's good. He's really good. A lot of teams really could use him. He's a good uh, player. Also, a lot of teams could use P.J. Tucker. I don't know why more teams didn't go after him. Yeah, he's been – I mean, that, that Toronto defense is is quite different with him and Ibaka. He's good. We, The Dash and Dunk podcast crew has been clamoring for P.J. Tucker for a few years. Lincoln Lending understands that not all lenders are created equal. With the most competitive interest rates and highly trained professionals available, Lincoln Lending will communicate and accommodate your every need throughout the home buying process. Getting approved has never been easier with Lincoln Lending's mobile app and website. Download the Lincoln Lending app in the App Store and Google Play Store. Visit our website at www. Dot lincolnok.com or call 799 lend to apply today. 
Lincoln Lending, not all lenders, are created equal. NMLS 398026. PJ Tucker, PJ Tucker is on. So I have, I have, uh, we have a thing we joke about the, uh, the CJ Miles All-Stars, which is role players. Have I told you about the CJ Miles All-Stars? No. These are, these are role players from around the league who you would, you never know their great interviews. Like they don't have a great interview reputation. And then you interview them and they're incredible. Huh. They have to be role like they can't be like famous, like really famous or, or stars or anything like that. It's got to be like role players because you'd never know they're like everyone knows that like LeBron's a good interview, you know. Yeah. Everyone knows Draymond's a good interview, so they they don't qualify. Uh, but yeah, so it's named after CJ Miles, who, as you can guess, is a great interview. And uh, PJ Tucker is on the CJ Miles All Stars. Who, who else is on it? Uh, Anthony Morrow, a hundred percent. Yeah. Mm, we can throw. Uh, Evan Turner. He's, he's, uh, Evan Turner, 100%. Evan Turner's incredible. He's absolutely, Evan Turner might be the best interview in the whole league. He is, he is amazing. Uh, James Michael McAdoo is great. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, he's, he is, he's an awesome guy. Really he's random. Fantastic. Yeah, it is. That's the, he, that's why he qualifies as CJ Miles All Stars. Uh, he's, he's excellent. Uh, is I really your, like, does your nemesis make the list? No, he makes, uh, he makes the Josh Hughes All Stars of one person who is uh, who's not good. <laughs> Sorry, interrupted you. Yeah. yeah, no, everyone's everyone's got like their uh, you know their different lists, yeah. and like, but like I feel like Adams and Canner are now like too well known of being great interviews, so they don't qualify. Like Embiid is too well known, like he doesn't qualify. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be. Like not not a complete unknown. Like CJ Miles is a a good player who gets starts and stuff, but I don't think people are like, oh, CJ Miles with a great interview. So CJ Miles he gets good. he gets the honor. He, yeah, he's he's he is an awesome dude. Yeah. He is just awesome. He's he's uh, he's so smart. Like he's incredible to talk X's nose with. Just awesome. That's awesome. Uh, next next question. Samaj Christian is a dog crap NBA player. <laughs> that's a that's a Schlecht comment. No, no, no. This is Zach Lowe. Uh, you I'm think gonna, that's a Zach Lowe comment? I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. Two years ago, he was doing a low post with Baxter Holmes and a direct quote that Dion Waiters and Ennis Cantor are dog bleep, dog crap, defenders, and weird personalities. It's a direct <laughs> Zach Lowe quote. <laughs> So I think that he would also agree that Samaj Christian is a dog crap NBA player. Oh man, you are just all over Samaj. It's incredible. I just don't get it, man. I'm just lost. You are. You are just. You are. You are. You're like losing sleep over it. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to. It's one thing to be like, you know, I wonder why. Uh, I wonder why Christian is is getting so many minutes next to Westbrook. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a weird decision by Billy Donovan. It's another thing to be like, to go into work on Monday morning and to have like your hair all ruffled up and <laughs> under your eyes and your boss to be like, you know, you've got like, you've got like still like the pillow mark on the side of your cheek. And like you, you, you walk up to your boss and your boss is like, Andrew, what, what happened? What's wrong? And you say, so much I Kristen played 16 minutes. last <laughs> night. It's true. This is a whole new level. It is. It's it's just incredibly frustrating. It's it's kind of 
it's a little bit like Scott Brooks and Derek Fisher because Scott Brooks just would play Derek Fisher just all the time. Um, he had like a six man rotation at one point against the against the Spurs a few years ago, and like he was firmly in that six man rotation. Um, and Samaj is, I just, man, I just I don't get it. I, I don't. This is not like a personal vendetta against him as like a man, but this is definitely just like, man, I don't I don't get what you're bringing to the table as an NBA player. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like we have had so many Samaje things. I, I don't really remember what I should say and what I shouldn't say, like what I haven't before. But I guess those were been on my podcast or just while I try to torture you in text messages about it. Uh, I know, I know Billy, Billy likes his on ball defense. And that's yeah. the thing. my, my, my thing that, that I've said before to you in every single type of media is, uh, that I, I don't, uh, the, the part that I, I kind of wonder about is and and Billy has not really given. I've asked him about Samaje's playing time a few times, and uh, Billy hasn't really given me a straight answer on this part. And the part that I wonder about is okay, you like his on ball defense. You know what? I get it. Uh, Billy Billy has always been prone for all things being equal. He wants defense over offense, and I understand if Russell Westbrook's going to play thirty five, he needs somebody else to play those other thirteen, and you can still play him. Next. Like I, I think that. Victor Oladipo handling the ball and Samaje getting playing time are two separate issues. Like I think you can give Samaje playing time and still let Oladipo handle the ball, run pick and roll with the second unit for 13, 14 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. Like I think those are those are two things that can coexist. It's not necessarily mutually exclusive. Yeah. But if you like him as non ball defender, and that's why, like he's not a great off ball defender. He gets he gets backdoor cut a lot, and and he's not great running off screens and that kind of stuff. Um, and you can kind of fall asleep off the ball, which is fine for your point guard. That's actually a very common trait in point guards because they're so used to guarding the ball for their entire careers that when they get to a point where they have to guard off it, they're just not they're not nearly as good. And it's not an effort thing. It's just like a, it's a concentration thing. It's an awareness thing. It's, it's a comfort thing for sure because they've just been guarding the ball for so long in their careers. So it's pretty common. But when Billy plays him in the fourth quarter next to Westbrook, which is like a also a pretty common thing now, like pretty much every game for a stretch in the fourth quarter because he's staggering, for the most part, staggering Old Depot and Westbrook. Mm-hmm. And then Old Depot comes out at like the seven-minute marker and Samaje comes in for him for like two to five minutes. And 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 like those sorts of those sorts of moves, I wonder like, well, he's, he's, he's still, like you're not guarding Russ off the ball in those situations. Like Russ is still guarding the point guards. And and Samaje is guarding the two, yeah. And it's it's just not it's not going as well. And you're playing Samaje off the ball on offense, and he's not really a spacer. So those are those are the kinds of things where I wonder, like, okay, I, I wonder. Those are the the minutes distribution that I find more questionable because I don't necessarily question a coach for something that like for like if I disagree with a player's quality or something like that, I disagree with. Because I think those are things where like he's more intelligent than me and knows more about basketball than me. So maybe he sees something that I don't. But I do disagree. The times where I will question something are when um, the times I do question something are when there are just there are inconsistencies. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. like everyone, even the smartest basketball minds, like you go to Greg Popovich and you go to Rick Carlisle. In my opinion, the two best coaches in the NBA. And, and I think probably popularly the two best coaches in the NBA. And there are going to be basketball things they disagree on. And probably neither of them is right because they're Greg Popovich and Rick Carlisle. It's like style. It's like style versus grammar. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot more style than there is grammar in basketball. Mm-hmm. But 
but I think you do need consistency in your logic. Like I think that's true, not just for basketball, but for decision making in life. And and the inconsistency there with the the minutes with Samaje off the ball at the two and guarding off the ball. Those are those are the times where I'm like that that that's the time where I I kind of I kind of question it. Yeah, calling saying that Samaj is not really a spacer might be the understatement of 2017 so far. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Everything, <laughs> everything. You just take my rationality and you just take a hammer and you just bash it. There aren't many things that I'll do that with your rationality, but with this, yes. <laughs> um, okay, tell me this. Do you think that? Samaj playing is only a regular season thing where he's just trying to get rest for these guys. And in the postseason, he's going to give rest, you know, 38 minutes or 40 minutes and the same with Victor Oladipo. Or do you see him playing 10 to 20 minutes in the playoffs? You know, I think he's going to play like he's going to see the floor, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if it's going to be like a consistent 10, 12 minutes every night is on the floor. Yeah. I, I think Russ will probably be my educated guess on Russ's playoff minutes will probably be like, like you said, like 38 to 40. And I think Victor will be in that like 36 to 39. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you only need eight to 10 minutes with a backup point guard. I, I think maybe it'll be one of those situations where Samaje plays a game or two and then he goes to Victor backing up uh, depending on how the series unfolds. I also think it probably depends on, on who they're playing, because there are certain guys who are just going to be who Victor, you know, who uh, who Billy might like uh, Samaje on better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe he wants maybe he wants Samaje guarding, like you know, for example, like maybe he wants Samaje guarding Patty Mills. Maybe he pref- he likes that matchup more because Samaje is like pretty good guarding ball screen heavy quick point guards who don't really like Patty Mills isn't going to penetrate. He's just going to pull up, you know, and that's kind of what Samaje is good at. If you keep him on the perimeter, he doesn't have to bang down low with a guy who's going to try to outmuscle him and penetrate him. And he can just use his length and his quickness. And that he's pretty good navigating ball screens and, and he, and he plays really hard and like he could probably get in Patty Mills's face. And maybe he wants to like try that on Patty Mills and maybe it doesn't work to that degree in like a Houston series. So I think it depends to some degree on, on the series, but I don't know. Even last year, like the way that Billy found a lot of these rotations, which many people, myself included, pray, praise him for doing, because I think it's it was he was wonderful in the playoffs last year. Like, but part of the process of him getting there was trying out a million different things. Mm-hmm. Like, if you remember, he would he would put someone in a, in a lineup he's never played one night, and it wouldn't work. And then he would take somebody out, and he would put in somebody else. And then he would, that didn't work, and he'd take somebody out, and he'd put in somebody else. And he was actually going player by player to see which lineups worked and which didn't. And when something worked, he was like, oh, got it. Here it is. And, uh, you know, you got to give him credit for being that that willing to be, you know, flexible and, and change things around. But at the same time, like, that means playing a lot of guys. And maybe he only gets a few minutes, but I feel like he's going to see the floor at some point. Yeah. And what's interesting with Donovan is that he'll find things that work, and then you feel like you won't see it, like, forever. And then, like, last year, I remember getting into the playoffs whenever he would, like, bring those things back. They're like, oh, my gosh, I remember that worked against the Milwaukee Bucks or whatever. Um, and I think that he'll probably do the same this postseason. Uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Milwaukee Bucks coming up. Yeah, Tuesday. Giannis. Did you just say Milwaukee Bucks? Am I hearing things? No, no, no. I said that. I got, I'm, uh, okay. I'm going to be at the game, so I've got it on my mind. Um, there we go. Uh, okay, last Last uh, Bayless or Lowe. 
Okay, so you should trade Ennis Cantor this summer because of the direction the league is taking. Oh, this is this is your one, which you thought was tough. No, no, no. the the Samaj one was the, really the only reason that I did ah, this thing at all. Got it, got it. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> of course it was. Uh, Bayless. I don't think Ooh. Zach Lowe would say that somebody should trade someone blindly. Like Zach Lowe would say that you should trade somebody, or like maybe you should shop. Bayless would be like, trade the guy. He's not good. Like he would say it passionately, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Zach Zach Lowe would say it would be would be more measured in the. Well, you know, it depends on what you can get for him. It depends on what the market is. Yeah, uh, that's very know. true. <laughs> you know, he would he would just add rationality to it. I mean, I don't know. Zach Lowe is what the best NBA writer of his like of his style ever. So. Yeah. Like just add respectability to it, and uh, and it'll become more become more Zach Lowe. Uh, Do you think the Thunder yeah, should trade Cantor? I, I agree. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm a little more in uh, fake Zach Lowe's camp on this one. I think it 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 really does depend on what the market is. Like I I don't think they should blindly hold on to Cantor. He's been he's been really good this year. Yes. And uh, I think he's had a better year this year than he did last year. He yeah. he's a much better offensive player. He's he's one of the I don't know two, three, four best low post centers in the NBA. Yeah. Just purely offensively, he's he's incredible. The amount of points they score off of his post ups, and he's kind of stopped passing the ball. You notice that? Yes, I, I tweeted about that the other night, like right before he threw a pass to Jeremy Grant. But yes, he he's not he's he's trying to get his own a lot more. He's not. He's not looking around. He's not surveying the defense anymore. It doesn't seem like it's almost like someone needs to remind him of it because he was he was pretty pumped about his passing earlier in the year. And it's almost like somebody needs to go up to him and say, uh, hey, Ennis, like, remember how well you were passing at the start of the year? And then he'd be like, like, because he's kind of fallen back into old old habits and he would just kind of respond like, oh, yeah, I should go back to that. And then he'll just do it. Well, I tried I like to I tried to remind him at Arby's. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I did. I honestly did. I said uh, I've been really impressed with your passing this season. I I you know I actually mentioned to him when I was talking to him that one of my friends said that to him, and then he said uh, and he said something. What was it? He said something so funny. He said something so funny. It was it was something along the lines of like, yeah, man, I just want buckets for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> he's so great. That's the only reason I don't want him traded. Oh, he's phenomenal. He's a great he's dude. Phenomenal. Yeah, and Preston already traded Anthony Morrow, who's yeah. just like the man. He's just a great dude. Um, and this was one of my favorite guys to cover, Anthony Morrow. Just awesome interview. So if you get rid of Canner too, that's just that's rough. But I mean, look, Canner's got a lot of value on this team. I don't know how much his style of player has on the trade market. That's kind of the problem. Like, I don't know. He's gone from a guy with a, a contract that was pretty unmovable to a contract that's more, like, you'd be more prone to keeping it, not necessarily because it's, it's un, not because it's, like, unmovable in that nobody wants him, but in that, like, he's valuable to you now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird swing. Uh, but I don't know, like, they're, like Philly now, granted, Ennis Canner is a lot better, a lot better than Julia Logafor. 
He's a lot better. But like Philly couldn't move. No one wanted Julia Loca for her. And it's 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 not just his quality of play. It's also the the style and category of big man he is. Like you don't think Orlando want, Orlando wanted to move Vucevic. Mm-hmm. He doesn't fit. Orlando wants to move Vucevic. It's tough. It's tough to move those sorts of guys who are really great offensive fives, uh, but but need the ball and um, and are not going to do it for you on the defensive end. And it's it's really tough in today's day and age of athletic five men who need to be able to guard pick and rolls who need to be able to defend the rim. And Vucevic is good. <laughs> he's a good offensive player. Yeah, he's real good. Great rebounder. I mean, he's he's pretty similar to Cantor in that sense. Yeah, and like he, he's actually a little bit better defensively than he was a few years ago, mm-hmm. but he's not good. Like you can no. still, you can still. I mean, look at what Westbrook did. That's how the Thunder had that comeback. Exactly. Like it was just pick and rolls. It was like once they fell down twenty one, Russ was like, "I guess I'll just put Vucevic in the pick and roll every time now." Like I guess, I guess we'll be fine. I'll just put Vucevic in the pick and roll and everything will be good. Yeah, and that's, and that's and that's why they couldn't mount that comeback yesterday. Like Cody Zeller's actually like a good defender, and so they couldn't they couldn't mount the same comeback yesterday, even though they tried to. Cody Zeller's good, man. Everything Cody Zeller's really good. Everything like Cody Zeller is the exact type of player that if he were on the so if Cody Zeller were on the on a on a fifty eight win team on the Thunder then Thunder fans would love Cody Zeller. But if you were on a 45-win team on the Thunder, they would hate Cody Zeller. <laughs> Why? What because, okay, here's, here's my theory on Thunder fans. They're all going to hate me after I say this. Here's, <laughs> okay, they're so irrational, and it's purely, like, their opinions of individual players is based purely on the win, the win total of the team. Hmm. So, like, they complain about Adams isn't doing, Adams isn't doing enough. Why isn't Steven Adams doing enough? It's like, all right, you just had a nine-year love affair with Nick Collison. You can't see what Steven Adams is doing. So you know this is all it's all BS. Like no one the, the people who say they can't see what Steven Adams is doing and can't see why he's valuable and then say they love Nick Collison because he does the little things, you're just saying that crap, repeating something that somebody else said. Because you should be able to see the little things that Steven Adams does. Because guess what? Steven Adams is way better at the little things than Nick Collison was, even though Nick Collison had a really good career. So, like, come on. Come on, you're not, you're not tricking me on this. <laughs> oh, I wanted to ask you. I asked uh, this for your podcast yesterday, but um, I didn't get an answer, so I want to answer it now. Who do you think will be more valuable in three years, Stephen Adams or Victor Oladipo? All right, you did ask me. I asked me this for my podcast, and then I forgot to put it in. I'm putting forgotten air quotes. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, who do I think will be more valuable? Contractually or just purely on the court? Uh, on the court. I still think it's Steven Adams. Uh, just because it's if you can have a five who can anchor a top ten defense, that's that's huge. It's just it's so important. And I don't think Vic is like Vic is never gonna be a number one option on either side of the ball. Like I, I think Vic's good. And I think he's 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 been good this year. He's he's shooting the heck out of the ball. Like he's having he's having a really really good shooting season. Like he's it's been incredible on catch and shoots and from the corners. And he's been he's been really really reliable for them. And I think he's been really solid defensively too. Uh, but but Adams, I just think like he's your he's a number one option on the Thunder. Basically, have two number one options on defense, which is a really nice advantage for them. And Adams is a 
with him and Robertson. And Adams is a number one option on defense. And I don't think Oladipo will ever be a number one option on either side, although he's very solid on both on both of them. But if you can have a number one option on defense and a guy who I think is going to have an above average offensive career, he's got some post moves, he's got good touch, he's got that floater, which works real nice. And he's pretty athletic and you can throw him lobs, he's a great screen setter, all that stuff. Like, I'm just more prone to go with the guy who can be the number one option on, on, on an individual side of the floor. But what do you say? Yeah, I think it's Adams. I think he's a much, 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 much better offensive player than he's been showing this season. I just don't think he's really been given the opportunity. I just think yeah. you can you can throw the ball to him in the post, and he can make a decision as far as like passing goes. He can, like you said, he's got post moves. Uh, I think that he's got the ability to get his own shot uh, out of the post. And a lot of people have talked about like he has shooting form, like good shooting form, and has a little bit of range whenever he's in practice. And I wonder if that's something they're going to unleash within the next two or three years, where he's actually going to be shooting jumpers or like a corner three or something like that. Um, I don't so, think he's ever going to take mid-range shots. Do you think he's going to take threes, though? I I know Brett and Royce do. Yeah. Uh, I definitely wouldn't be shocked. You, you watch him in practice. He's, like, pretty comfortable. His form doesn't change. He's pretty good. Like, I, I don't think that's crazy. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised by it. Uh, Personality-wise, he's pretty analytics-obsessed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he just like really doesn't believe in internet shots. Now he he's, I've, I've had conversations with him about this, uh, where he kind of, he kind of, he, he said to me, like, you know, if you're, he specifically said, like, if you're Ennis and you're just really good for mid range and you're open a hundred percent, take that shot. But so I don't think he's like a Houston rocket, not believing in those shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but he said, like, I'm just, he said, like, cause I've asked him, like, I see you take. 14 footers. You ever going to take one of those in the game? He's like, no, because I'm just not efficient enough taking those. Uh, and so I, I don't think, you know, it's, it's not good in the offense. It's not good for our offense. You know, the, the typical reasons why you wouldn't want a center taking a mid range shot. Yeah. So I, I think he's the type of guy, cause he really understands the, uh, the numbers facet and the efficiency aspect of it. So I, I think if he were going to do it, he could be one of those guys that just kind of shows up and you're just like, like Brooke Lopez, although Brooke Lopez did pick and pop for the last couple of years pretty well, mm-hmm. but where it just kind of shows up and you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. He hits like, he hits like, he goes like two for five from three in the first preseason game. And you're just like, well, it was against like, you know, it was against like, you know, a Turkish team. Let's see what he does. And then like in an NBA game, his first, you know, NBA game, he's like one for three. And you're like, wait, is he actually taking these? Like what, <laughs> what is, what's happening right now? And so I think I think that if he were going to do it, I think it wouldn't surprise me if that were the way that he did it because I don't think he would convince himself to take mid-range shots. Yeah, Cause I, and, I, and I, this is why I think it's the answer, Stephen Adams, because I can imagine a world where a 26-year-old Stephen Adams is anchoring the Thunder defense and shooting threes on the other end, and you're like, I mean, he's one of the best centers in the NBA. Um, just right now, like I just think that he cares so much about the team winning that he is just so reluctant to like experiment outside of that box that he's just more, he's just more ready to play defense and just stay inside that box. Of like, I know that I can do this to help the team win rather than like trying to experiment with his game. He's a little too unselfish for his own good. He is. Yeah. That's, it's, it's the best and the worst quality about him. 
Yes, that's true. I mean, he he does not care at all about like he's he's such a like he's really. I know everyone says they're a team first guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily like calling out people who are on a lesser lesser level than Stephen Adams because I'll be honest. Like at my job, I'm I'm on a much lesser level as a team first guy than Stephen Adams is. Like <laughs> I just I want the Thunder beat. I don't want other people writing about it. And I, I want to be the first and foremost authority. Like I'm not a team first guy with it. I'm just, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> and I'm perfectly happy to admit that. And I, I just don't have the mental capacity to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Steven Adams is like the total opposite. Yeah. Like he is, he is, um, he just, he just genuinely like really, it's really genuine with him. He just doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, at all, he just kind of wants he wants everyone to be happy. He wants to be the best teammate, and he wants to win games. And it, it, I hate saying that because it's just it's the ultimate cliche, right? But it's actually true with him, and there's not another way to phrase it. So I don't really know what to do. Yeah, and I, I think Adams was perfect for those Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook teams. But now he's in a position where he is the second best player on the team. And I just don't think he's comfortable with being that. And I think it's going to take some time for him to, like, I guess, process that and to work that into, like, his game. Because uh, it's just, you just don't see it on the court night in, night out that he is the second best player. But I think he has the second most talent and the second highest ceiling on this team. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And, like, maybe I, I said selfish before. Like, maybe or I, I used unselfish to describe him. Maybe that's the wrong way to do it. Because, like, I think he needs to get to a point he needs to realize that like him shooting him taking over the offense to a slightly greater degree. That's not selfish. That's actually unselfish. Right. It's, it's, it's better. It's better for this offense. If he does that, because like, he's good. And I think he's always been, he's put himself in a position like he's never at a high level been a guy who's been anything close to a go-to offensive option. Like not even in college. That's the thing. A lot of, a lot of these guys, who have that mentality, at least in college, they had to be the go-to guy or maybe the number two guy, you know? And it didn't make them selfish. They were just the best ones. Or, or they come up through AAU and they're like the best players there. So they need to be, you know, the number one option. You know, Tony Allen was like a 16-point-a-game guy when he was at Oklahoma State, you know? And now now he never touches the ball. Like he, But he has experience to where in his life to where he's at least taken on – the skills don't translate, but at least he's taken on the mentality, you know? And yeah. Steven Adams was like a six-point-a-game guy at Pittsburgh. Yeah, he here's, just, here's his stats. I just pulled them up. So he played 23 minutes a game. He was seven points, two blocks, and six rebounds a game. Uh, he was a backup center in college. Um, right. And like, and he doesn't have that AAU. He doesn't have that like being brought up in AAU and being told he's going to be an incredible. Steven Adams grew up not watching the NBA. Yeah. Like he, he doesn't, that that's part of why I think he doesn't get starstruck by this stuff. Like the reason that like people get starstruck by celebrities is because whatever the industry they're a celebrity in has been banged into our head since we're little kids, you know? And if it hasn't been that way, we don't get starstruck. Like, for example, my mother loves the ballet. She loves the ballet and she has her entire life. So if my mom beats a famous ballerina, she like, will be so pumped about it. And I'll just be like, who's this guy? And if my mom meets, you know, my mom, so my mom, my mom, here's something. My, I went to, I went to dinner with my, 
with my, uh, I was at dinner with my family when I was 13 years old and I'm from New York, as you know, mm-hmm. and grew up just like the biggest Yankees fan of all time. And I'm now, you know, losing sleep over them being on pace for Owen 162. And, uh, and we're at dinner and who walks in and sits down literally at the table next to us other than Derek Jeter. What? And so I, I'm 13 years old. So I'm like the peak, I'm like the peak age of freaking out about it. You know, yeah. he's like, he's like of anyone, he's my favorite per- human being. Like if I could, at this point in my life, if, you know, if the humanity is all going to die out and I could save one person, that's the person I would say. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I just am sitting there staring at him. And before he walked in the restaurant, owner came up to us because they were like family friends and the people who have the restaurant and they came up to us and they knew we were Yankee fans and they were like, he's actually on a double date tonight. He doesn't really want to be disturbed. Can you not really say anything to him? Oh. And my mom doesn't say anything. Yeah. Uh, my mom doesn't really, she, she doesn't, my mom to start with doesn't really have a filter, but she, <laughs> but she also like doesn't have the same reaction to Derek Jeter as I do. Cause she just doesn't really care about baseball. Yeah. And my mom thinks she's me staring and she doesn't think she's like, Oh, he won't care. And she just turns around and she says, I just wanted to tell you, we love you in our house and, <laughs> and just doesn't shut up. <laughs> Keeps talking to him after they specifically said not to. And she just doesn't have this like, Oh, it's Derek Jeter. You know, it's, yeah. it's partly cause she's like a grown adult. Like I wouldn't have that reaction now, sure. but like Steven Adams to bring it back to the point, like Steven Adams looks at NBA players the same way my mom looked at Derek Jeter that night. <laughs> like it was just in growing up in New Zealand, not thinking he was going to be an NBA player, not playing basketball for a decent amount of it, not watching the NBA. Like there was no international league pass in 2004, you know, like having, having this, you know, growing up the way he grew up, like he was looking at other things and had other kinds of role models. And like, there's certain NBA players that he, he loves for sure. Like he loves Tim Duncan. Like mm-hmm. I, I, Tim Duncan is his favorite NBA player ever, which is probably true for a lot of NBA players. But like he loves Tim Duncan in like an affectionate way, not in a celebrity worshiping way. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's an interesting part of of kind of what makes him a, have a very different mentality uh, than a lot of other players who come up, you know, watching a, a lot of the same guys and wanting to be like certain guys. Like Steven just didn't have that guy when he was kind of forming what type of player he'd become. Yeah, and I think that's something that probably made him so good early and made him so aggressive early because these are just guys he's playing basketball against. Like he's he doesn't know Zach Randolph is going to be that aggressive with them. Like he's he's just going to go at him like he would anybody else, and it ended up really helping the Thunder in that particular series, uh, his rookie season. So he, he's just a fascinating player, and I just I hope people don't sleep on him as an NBA player going forward because yeah maybe he's had a slow stretch. Um, here at the end of the season, but it, this is not like these aren't the defining moments for Stephen Adams. So I just hope that we don't treat them as such. Uh, let's do some Twitter questions. This is from Austin S ten twenty seven. He asks, "How much do you think Russell actually cares about averaging a triple double?" Is this for me? Yes. Oh, he cares. Yeah. <laughs> why would Why would you care if you can? Do, I mean, I would. I, I care right now about him doing it. If it was me, I, that's all, probably all I would think about. It's all I would talk about if it were me. I would walk yeah. into any place I walked into, a restaurant, <laughs> a car repair shop, 
And I would just expect people to dote on me. And if they didn't, I'd be like, I'm averaging a triple double. You do this for me now. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing that he's held it in for so long. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Russell West. He says he doesn't care over and over again. And that's, he, he never, he will never say that he, maybe after he retires or something, he'll admit it or something like that. But as long as he's playing, as long as he's in this situation, he will never say that he cares. It's just not in his personality to admit that. Mm-hmm. But all we hear about Russell Westbrook, and, and, and it is true, that dude is the most competitive person I've ever met. Yeah. He is so competitive. He wants to win. He wants to be the one to make them win. And that's what, it's not selfish. That's just what great competitors are. You can't name an all-time competitor who didn't both. It's not just about winning. It's about being the one to make them win, right? Like Mm -hmm. Kobe wanted to be the one to make the Lakers win. Jordan wanted to be the one to make the Bulls win. Like they want to be the reason. That's that's what being like a great competitor versus an all-time competitor is. And and he he wants that 100%. And so you're telling me that this all-time competitor, this person who is, maybe the most competitive person of a group of the most competitive people in the world. You're telling me this guy wants everything that, that comes out of being that competitive personality. And then when it comes to breaking maybe one of the most incredible records in American sports, he's just like, no, I don't really care. Yeah. No, there's no way. There's, there's absolutely no way. Like that doesn't, if that's true, then he's, he's not the competitor that we think he is, but he is the competitor. Like I see it. Yeah. I, this is not just like people saying, like you see the examples of it and what he does and like the obsessive workout regimen that his workout schedule is insane. Uh, like his work regimen is unbelievable. And like, you see, you see the, the competitiveness inside of that guy. And there's just like, there's no way. And there's, I have a, my, my blame here is not on Russell Westbrook. Actually it's on society. It's that we, we live in a sports society and have created a, a sports society to where it's not okay for an athlete to say that he wants some individual, you know, some individual recollection. Like he, he, wants, he wants to be able to go after something that's historic on his own. Like it's guys can't, like he can't say that he wants MVP without somebody out there. Like you can take your guess of whether it'll be Bayless or Lowe without somebody out there (laughs) saying like, ah, he's selfish. He wants MVP. It's like, no, he didn't say he wants MVP instead of winning a title. Like you can want both. It's not why, why do we have to be so either or, uh, and, and it, it upsets me that a guy can't just be honest. He doesn't, we've put created a culture to where he can't feel comfortable being honest and saying, Hell yeah, I want that. Yeah. Because it would be great if he could say that because he does want it and I would judge him if he didn't want it. He should want it. He it's should. an unbelievable accomplishment. And anytime you can make history like that, you should want that. Yeah. He, he not only wants to beat the triple double record, he wants to smash it. And that's why he's <laughs> averaging, he's had five triple doubles in a row or six in a row. And he's probably going to have another one tomorrow night and he's going to tie the record. And he wants to obliterate that record. I mean, I would be surprised if he. Only if he missed maybe one or two games with a triple double the rest of the season, or he may even win out with triple doubles. Like he's he wants to smash that record and he should. Um, but he's getting to the point in his post game interviews where he just basically doesn't say anything. Um, so, but I think the funny <laughs> I don't I don't know why I thought this was so funny, but somebody asked him if um, 
if he wanted to break Oscar Robinson's uh, triple double record or something like that. And you know, oh, like yes. in his head, like, Oh yes. If he that was, was, that was a question. If he, if he was like speaking honestly, first he probably would have corrected her, but he just doesn't, he, he's not going to say anything. So I think he just gave whatever answer that he always gives. But uh, that tells me that he's not saying what he wants to, because he would have for sure corrected Oscar Robinson. I was like, who's Oscar Robinson? I also, I also think it's pretty possible. He doesn't actually listen to our questions. Yeah. <laughs> like he just, he just picks up on kind of individual words and tone and like zones out mostly for it. And then yeah. just kind of gives the expected answer. You know, nah, man, nah, man. I just, I just play to win. I go out and I play my hardest every night, and that's that's how I do it. And yeah. and that's what he gives when he's not really listening to your to your questions. So so it's also possible he just didn't even notice it. Yeah, uh, but yes, I, I I noticed that as well. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Um, uh, from Thunder underscore Fan two thousand on draft night, DC Presti trading our first rounder for a veteran player or work his draft magic. Um, well, once, once again, boring answer depends on who it's for. Like <laughs> Sam Presley will be shopping the pick because Sam Presley is always shopping. Like yeah. that's, that's what he does. He is a, uh, well, I was going to say he's a, he's a walking, talking whole foods, but I guess that would make him the, the person being shopped, not the one shop. Yeah. <laughs> Who's someone who shops a lot. He's like, uh, he's like L woods in legally blonde. <laughs> I'm I'm tracking. I'm with you. That's exactly who it's like. There you go. Um, Sam Presti is like legally blonde. That's right. Uh, yeah, he's going to shop it, but I would be very surprised if he doesn't make the pick because that's he just typically does. I mean, there are well, there are well, years he has to he has to technically make the pick. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. He has to pick, and then he can trade it after. So he can't just. They're, you're not going to see it traded before the pick is made, but um, I'd be shocked if he just didn't pick a guy that he wants because he's he seems like he always does that. There were a lot of years I, I, I thought the year that they picked McGarry and Josh Eustace that they were going to shop those picks. I'm sure they did shop them, um, but he ended up picking two guys that he thought were going to be good for the team instead. Whenever it made a ton of sense at the time to package those together and go get a veteran or you know trade up or whatever. Um, just because the team was ready to compete for a title then. Uh, and I just don't, I just expect him uh, to, to make the pick because these rookie contracts are so valuable and he trusts himself and the staff to make good picks. Yeah. Sam likes to keep it young too. Yeah. Sustainability. He likes to keep it young. Yeah. And he's got, he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of faith in there. Like you just said, he's got a lot of faith in their just internal, their ability to, to develop players and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, last question from at Mikey Barra. So Billy tried a Grant Sabonis lineup. Do you think this can be a thing next season? Subtitle, would you trade Ennis? We've already talked about that. But do you think that a Grant Sabonis lineup will be something that we'll see more often, maybe even next season? Yeah, I think that's definitely plausible. Uh, I think Grant's best best position moving forward is a four. Like, I just, I don't, I don't quite think he's a three. Uh, I think he's better as a four, and then you can switch him on to wings and guards. Like, it. I, I, I much prefer him guarding the back end of a pick and roll than the front end, you know? Yes. Uh, because then, then you can use his, his switchability is just that much more valuable in that sense. So I, I like him a lot more as a four. I, I am convinced he disagrees with me on this. 
Uh, and, and Jeremy's a really easygoing guy. So it actually wasn't like a, he doesn't want to play the five type of thing. I, I think he is going to play a lot more five later in, like, like not now, not when he's 22, 23 years old, but like mm-hmm. in like five years with the direction the league is going and, and not even necessarily that I, I don't buy into the, there are no more centers thing. That's just not true. Like look at all the great young centers that are on the NBA now, but stylistically it's changed. And I think having someone who can switch on pick and rolls is just so much more valuable now. And like, yeah, if you have Brooke Lopez or Marcus Gasol or uh, Nikola Jokic, like those guys are big. And if they pick and pop, you can switch on them and then they can just post you up. But I do think there's just going to be a lot more value in a guy who's long and athletic, who can switch and who can at least contest a shot on a pick and pop. And I think we're going to see him actually play a decent amount of five, like, Maybe he won't be at the Thunder anymore because I'm talking four years down the line and who the heck knows. But the game is evolving in that direction. And I think it's going to be even more extreme with just so many five shooting threes in like 2021. And like I, I, I could see him playing when it comes to his prime, when it comes to like his like 20, like late 20s into his 30s. Like if he's still around, like I could see him playing more five than I don't know how bold this call is. He disagrees with me on this because uh, I've, I've discussed it with him and he does not think that this is going to happen, but I could see him playing more five than he plays three. Uh, he, and he should, right? I mean, yeah. I, I think, think he if, should. If the league gets even more, if the league gets even more extreme, I mean the, the thunder just by, by roster composition need him at the three. Right. Because they just don't really have like, that's they have the weakest threes in the league offensively mm-hmm. and they just, they need him. They need him at the three, uh, but but you could like, I think I mean I think you can play him at the five, like not all the time, but I think like people say like oh you can play Draymond at the five. Draymond's Draymond's an exception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Draymond is is a defensive player of the year quality player uh, who who can play on the perimeter. Who's a three on offense? Like he really is a five on defense. He's just a three on offense, so mm-hmm. he averages to being their starting four. But Draymond is like. That's not like the, it, it obviously has to do with the evolution of the game. But the reason that Draymond is so good at the five is not because of the evolution of the game. It's because Draymond is so good. Yeah. And that's why he can do the five. So like, I don't use him as a benchmarker or an example for anything. And maybe historically, like he'll come to represent that as the league goes smaller and people will be like, well, you know, Dray- Draymond Green started it all, but like he's, he's an exception. It's just because he is an incredible player. So, but I, I think there are a lot of lineups where you could you could play Grant at the five, especially if his three point shot you know starts to develop a little bit more, um, and he can you know maybe he can take two threes a game or something like that, three threes a game, and and he doesn't have to be wide open to take them. Maybe later in his career, like because he shot a pretty good percentage this year, and he's been pretty reliable from the corners. So, if that's something you can do, and you can have that weapon at the five, like. Yeah, I'm not arguing the majority of his minutes there, but I think we're going to see more of him at the five than at the three by the time his career is done. Yeah, he's 38% on the season, which I still kind of have a hard time believing. But, like, he's done it for a while now. And like you said, from the corners, he's 42%. Uh, you'd like to, you just would like to see more <clears throat> of that. Um, and everything that you said is is the reason why I don't think that he's the Robertson replacement. A lot of people saw when they made that trade, like, oh, well, they're bringing this guy to replace Andre Robertson because he's going to get a bigger deal. Uh, he's really not the same player as Andre Robertson really at all. <laughs> so um, except for they're just like long athletic guys. Uh, but Robertson can play the two where Jeremy Grant really shouldn't even be playing the three, like you said. So I think 
uh, I think that he's here for a different purpose rather than replacing Robertson. Yeah, Robertson guards one, twos, and threes, and Grant guards threes, fours, and fives. Yeah, they are they are mirror mirror images. Is that the correct use of mirror images of each other? Maybe they're not because a mirror image is like the same, the same but thing. It's, it's, but on opposite ends, right? Is that right, or am I? Or is it just the same thing? It's maybe a fun house image. They're a fun. There we go. That's why I keep you around. <laughs> they're fun. Can we? We should call Jeremy Grant Funhouse Robertson. Ooh, I like that. Thank you.